Well, it is good to be uh, with you this morning. Um, I'm actually, uh, part of the reason I get to do this is I'm on a sabbatical. Um, I've been, this past September, uh, it's been 10 years that I've been at the church across life, and so part of their, um, there's an opportunity for me to take a, a small sabbatical, and so I've been doing that and enjoying that, but uh, part of that means that I don't have anything else going on Sunday, so I get to come over here and uh, um, be with you all, so it's a, it's a pleasure to be able to do that. Um, uh, so the, the passage I wanted to, to open up and, and discuss is from Matthew 13, which was, was previously read. Um, and, you know, I, the more I've studied this, um, it just, I, I have a really strong sense of conviction that this is, this is a, a vision for, for what life in Christ can be. This is a vision for what church can be. Um, and so I want to explore some of that, uh, together, uh, with you. So if you do have a Bible, you can, uh, open up to Matthew 13, we're going to be looking at the section of verses 44 to 52. Uh, and these are parables. Jesus is telling stories. Uh, and these stories are intended to communicate uh, the nature of the kingdom of God, right? What it's like, uh, who gets to participate in it, uh, how it's coming about, right? These are these parables or short stories that are intended to communicate these ideas. And parables are a form of indirect communication, right? Where what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you truth, but I'm going to try to come in the side door of your perceptions, right? Because direct communication works really well if you already agree with me, right? Uh, uh, Politicians, right, whatever. Like if I'm just directly communicating, if I already agree with you, great, I'm signing off. But the minute that you start to say something that I'm not sure about, up goes the wall, and I will. See, I maybe continue to like nod along, but you've lost me, right? And so Jesus, brilliantly so, right, is using the form of indirect communication. Art does this all the time, right? Stories do this all the time, where we're just enjoying the story, and then we're like, wait a minute, is this trying to? And you start to see yourself in the story, right? You know, so this, this is the brilliance of what Jesus is doing, and he's doing this because. He understands that uh, this is how we are, right? And so he's trying to give us the best possible shot at responding to something that is super important, right, and what he's trying to say. So uh, the passage this morning, as we read, uh, contains, there are actually four really short stories. There are short parables uh, within this section, but I do think they all connect together uh, in order to communicate what it means to be a participating disciple in God's kingdom as one who understands both value and urgency, right? So those are the two words I want you to hang on to as we start, this idea of value and urgency. And so if I want to communicate one big idea to you this morning, it is that you will always live to pursue and gain whatever you perceive to be the most valuable and the most urgent. Right? You will always live for what you believe to be the most valuable and the most urgent. Always. Right? The orientation, the trajectory of your life will work itself out towards these ends. And who knows this? 
advertising agencies know this, right? And so what their job is to do is they want to convince you for whatever reason. And sometimes it's like, no, advertising is bad. Marketing isn't inherently bad. But there's this sense of like, if I need to get you to spend money, I need to convince you of one or two things. I need to convince you that this is valuable. I also need to convince you that it's urgent. Right? It's not only that this is a really great investment, but you need to do it very quickly. Right? You need to. This is a. This is a an essential component to. Um, and you know, there's varying degrees to that. But the reality is, is that there's a sense that like all of our lives are about this. Right? We're seeking after value, um, and our sense of value, right, is oftentimes just based on our own perceptions of what we think is valuable, our own experiences. Uh, how we believe the world actually works. Um, and regardless of what our perceptions of value are, right, these things set a trajectory for our lives. Right? These are the things that we're going to invest in. These are the things we're going to pursue. We're going to say yes to some things and no to others. And Jesus knows this. right? So he's going to tell us stories to try to help us reframe what is most valuable and what is most urgent. And it's the kingdom of God, right? So he's, he's saying, like, the kingdom of God is what is most valuable, most, most urgent, but he's going to tell us stories to help us get around and to grasp this truth, all right? So the first set of stories, here we have the story of a, a, a treasure in a field and a, and a pearl of great price, right? So these two go together because they, try, they intend to communicate the same thing, which is this. The kingdom of heaven is worth any cost, to joyfully participate in it. The kingdom of heaven is worth any cost to joyfully participate in it. We'll take these, these stories in turn, right? You've got the, the treasure in the field. And this is the story of a man who seemingly by accident stumbles upon treasure. He's just walking along, right? He's walking through a field and all of a sudden he's like, wait, maybe something's buried. And he starts to dig a little bit and it's like, oh my gosh. What do I do? Okay, well, here's, here's my plan. I'm going to bury it again, and I'm going to go buy this field, right? Because I'm not, he's not going to steal it, right? But what he is going to do, he's going to say, like, if I buy this field and it's actually mine, guess what? Now I own what's buried in this field. Maybe an interesting conversation with the person who owns the field, right? Because the text says that he's going to sell all that he has to buy this field. So you go to this guy who owns this field, and it's like, I'd like to buy your field. Okay, well, like, what are you willing to pay for it? Everything I own. Interesting. <laughs> right? This guy's like, mm, what, do we do, what do I do here? Right? Because the field's not worth that much. Right? Mm, it's not worth that much. And so I don't know. It's an interesting conversation. But this guy is like, no, it's a good deal. Why? Because he knows what's buried there. And so he's like, no, all I have, this is a great deal. And so this is the exchange. Right? In his joy sells all that he has, and buys this one field. Um, the Pearl of Great Price. Similar, like there are differences within the stories, right? And I don't want, those are, that's kind of a whole other dis discussion, but just to keep it on track with the similarities, right? A similar story of a man uh, who is uh, a merchant or trader in presumably pearls, and he's on the hunt for the best one, right? So in contrast to the person who, stumbled upon it by accident, right? You know, this guy is looking for something and he knows what he's looking for. He spent his whole life trading and assessing the value of pearls and he knows something about when he finds a good one. 
Now that's where the difference between this guy and me, like that's where it's highlighted, right? This guy knows the value of pearls. I do not, um, which makes it kind of funny that I bought for my wife a pearl bracelet uh, for our, on our wedding day. It's something that you sometimes do. The reality is I don't actually know if it's any good, right? This guy, like... I don't know how to assess the value of pearls, right? Like, I just like, whoa, like, they're telling me it's pearls? I guess so. Like, we'll go with it. Um, it's like, anybody, any guys feel like this sometimes? You're just like, well, I just got to go with the person telling me, you know? Um, this guy knows what he's looking for. Like, that's the difference, right? So he knows what he's looking for. He knows how to assess some value. And when he finds a pearl of great value, where's the similarity? He sells all that he has, Right? Which means probably all of his other pearls, right? So if he's a pearl merchant who trades in pearls, all that he has includes all of the pearls he had previously collected. He's like, get rid of all those. I found what I want. And now he's a retired pearl merchant, right? He doesn't do get and trade in pearls anymore. He's like, I got what I need. I'm done. And so three quick things that I think bring these bring these stories together that are important when we think about the value of the kingdom of God and what Jesus is trying to communicate. The first is that our actions demonstrate value, right? What we do demonstrates what we value, right? In his joy, right? That's what the man does, right? When he sells all that he has, in his joy. And this is not surprising, right? It's a natural response to something that when we, just, when we have something that we value, right, joy is a natural response. What would be weird is if he was, like, indifferent about it, right? That would be weird. And how tragic it is, right, when our behaviors don't demonstrate what we claim to be true about what we possess in Christ, Right? When, our, when, our, when we don't demonstrate a joy that understands value, right? Um, there's a, a quote that I, I stumbled across from a, a commentator who was, was talking about the need for, he said, the gospel we, we proclaim must explain and uh, must deserve and explain the label treasure, right? When we talk about the treasure of what it is to know Jesus, I, I dare say that there's a part of that that sounds, not only to, to Christians, but to non-Christians, like, that sounds almost crazy, like ludicrous. Not because, not because of Jesus, but because of Christians, right? Like, what you're, you're telling me this is the, the pinnacle of what it means to, like, exist? Like, the, no thanks, right? And so, like... Pump the brakes here, right? Jesus' own ministry, right, demonstrated the value of the kingdom of God. People still rejected it, right? I'm not saying that we do this perfectly and that we need to. It's all on us. It's not. But how does my life demonstrate that I understand what is valuable, right? Um, so our behaviors demonstrate value, right? Um and then the second thing is that this cost is real because what is valuable does cost. There is cost involved, right? It does cost everything, right, in both instances. And it's not, not really a metaphor, right? The cost of following Jesus 
is everything. But it doesn't mean, this isn't, a, this isn't something that's like, well, okay, I need to buy the kingdom of God at the right price or something like that. That's not what this is saying. Like when, when the Bible uses, talks about this idea of selling all that you have, right? This parallel language of Jesus' own calls to follow him when he says, like, you know, it's going to cost it's going to cost your whole self, right? Following Jesus means self-denial, take up your cross, follow me, right? Lose your life. That's what, that's what this selling all you have, I think, is intended to communicate. Um, and nothing is off limits of my whole self, right? It does cost my whole self, and it has implications for every way that I live my life. And the problem, the problem that I have is that I would like this really valuable thing, right? This really valuable treasure discounted, <laughs> right? Can I get it at a deal? Can I get it at a reduced price, right? Can I get the kingdom of God at a discount? Because I love discounts, right? I love getting a good deal. I want to hedge my bets. I want to diversify my portfolio. I want to keep my options open. And the idea of spending everything that I have on a single pearl, that's not a smart investment strategy. That is not wise. And Jesus says you can't hedge your bets with the kingdom of God, right? It costs you everything. This is, there are no discounts on the kingdom of God. Now, our behaviors demonstrate value. There is a real cost. And so it's like, where's, where's the gospel, right? Where's the good news in that? Like, oh, like, is there good news? Yes, there is gospel good news here in two parts. The first part is the kingdom of God is gettable now. It is attainable. You can, you can find it. You can participate in it now. Like this is the this is the promise of these stories. It's like, no, this guy found it. He found it. He really did find it. And the cost of everything you own, right? Your whole self. Every single one of us has a self, right? Right. This is not out of the price range, to use the analogy, uh, of anyone. And that's good news, right? Because Jesus says, what does it profit you? To gain the whole world and yet lose yourself. Jesus is like, no, this is actually, and that's, so that's, that's actually the second part. So the first part is that it's gettable now, that it actually is, Jesus isn't sending on you on some wild goose chase, right? Like, well, yeah, go out and start digging. Maybe you'll find something, maybe you won't. No, there's treasure out there. There's treasure. There's treasure there. You will find it. And it will cost you, but here's, here's the, also the good news, is what the cost of everything you have pales in comparison to what you get. It's not an even trade, right? This guy knows, the guy who's selling the field, he knows this. He's like, sell everything I have? Easy. Why? Because the thing that I found is worth way more than what I had anyway. 
And so that's what makes it a gift, right? And not something that you are, right? This exchange, this idea that you, you, when you lose your life, Jesus says, you find it. Right? That there's, it's actually a pretty good deal. <laughs> right? And it's not, it's not, uh, it's not self-denial for self-denial's sake. Right? It's self-denial so that you might find life. So, how does my life demonstrate a self-giving joy that comes from knowing and treasuring Jesus? Like, how does my life, do I, do I see myself in this story? Like, how do I see myself in this story? Um, we're going to, in terms of application points, we're going to, I'm going to give us, like, some postures that I think that, there are, uh, that we can emulate, that I think that as we understand these things, it, it changes our, our posture and our way of being. Right, towards God and towards others. And so uh, the, the posture that I think uh, is our default posture, um, if ever you take your hands and make tight fists, squeeze as hard as you can. Our posture is one of grasping, holding on to whatever I think is like, no, don't take this from me. I need this. Uh, scarcity, right? I'm not going to have enough. I'm not going to be able to provide. Like it's a it's a fear kind of scarcity, right? We can live our lives like this, right? And what an understanding of what what treasuring Christ does to this posture is, we open up our hands, right? And we say, God, what you've given me, it's not it's not all valuable, right? I have something that can't be taken away in the treasure of Jesus, and so all of a sudden, the things that I was grasping at, I don't have to hold on to anymore. Like, I can open up my hands, I can receive what God gives, and I can generously give without fear that I'm going to lose something, because what is most valuable, I can't lose. Right? So it changes our posture into one from one of grasping to one of gratitude. We understand the value of the kingdom of God. We have a posture, not of grasping, but of gratitude. So Jesus now tells another story, and he tells a story about a net. He says the kingdom of God is now like a net. And the reason why I think these stories go together is because uh, in terms of the context, he is now speaking to disciples in a room that's just as though there, there's a larger section of the, of the text. But Jesus is off away from the crowd. He's speaking to disciples and he's telling them these stories in succession. So I think that's why they, they do go together. And the idea is, I, I think the idea is, as best I can tell, is that when you are confronted with something of incredible value, right? And Jesus is talking about the value of the kingdom of God. Value... Implicitly, what comes with value is this idea of urgency, right? So, like, if I discover something of value, I have a decision to make now, right? And so this is the urgency component. So the kingdom of God uh, brings about this this understanding of value and an an understanding of urgency. And so the first point was the kingdom of heaven is, is measurably valuable, right, worth any cost. This story intends to communicate that the kingdom of heaven is a reality that confronts me. It's a confronting. 
and it confronts me to make an urgent decision. Right? The value of the kingdom of God confronts us with urgency because the image here is one of judgment. Right? There's a component of it. And so the metaphor has switched. Right? In the previous ones, I'm out hunting. I'm looking for something. Right? Here, the kingdom of God finds me. Right? I'm not hunting for a pearl or a treasure. Now the kingdom of God is a net. And it is going to catch me up. Right? Which is uh, wonderful and terrible all at the same time, depending on which side you're on. Right? This is like judgment is serious, but there's also salvation. Right? The kingdom of God is something that like, I can get caught up in. Right? It's bigger than myself. Um, the story here mirrors a parable a few verses back about wheat and weeds growing together. And, and the point is largely the same, that the kingdom of God, when it, when it comes in its fullness, right, involves divine separation as an act of judgment. You have the separation of good fish and bad fish is the analogy. And so it's the, the, the image is that of a drag net, right? So how you would fish is you would have a large net that would be weighted on the bottom. And so what you do is you drop the net all the way down to the bottom of the lake and you'd have it on one side. There's a boat here. Here's a boat here. And we're just going to drag this thing across and we're going to see what we get, right? So you drag this net across and then when you pull it up, you don't really know what you have until you pull the net up. And then the job is the fisherman is, well, we just got to sort this through. And there are two kinds of fish. Fish you can sell and eat that are good and fish that you can't and that they're bad. So what do you do with the bad fish? You throw them out. Jesus says, the kingdom of God, in its judgment, is like this. You know, Jesus speaks openly and honestly about judgment and about hell. I think he's probably the one who speaks the most openly and the most honestly about judgment. Uh, and I take this to mean because he's both certain of its reality and he's genuine in his desire to tell us the truth. Um, so there's urgency. And he's like, this is, this is a real thing, right? The kingdom of God is an inevitable, it, like, it is an inescapable reality that will be consummated. It will be realized. And there are consequences when that happens. Um, and God in his mercy waits until the end to sort it out, right? God in his patience and his kindness uh, waits until the end to sort it out, but he will sort it out. And so that's 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 it for that story, I guess, right? You're either a good fish or a bad fish. Um, nothing you can do about it. Or maybe there is something you can do about it, and that means you better really double down on this like moral, religious, do-good stuff, right? If you want to be a good fish, <laughs> right? Well, I don't want to be a bad fish, so I guess I better... I guess I better get super religious. Um, earlier in Matthew's Gospel, uh, Jesus' first large block of teaching starts in Matthew 5, which is the Sermon on the Mount. And he begins the sermon with what are traditionally referred to as the Beatitudes, right? And, and how does, what's the, do you remember what the first one is? Um, I won't quiz you. Uh, <laughs> Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, thematically, we're, we're in the same book, so blessed are the poor in spirit, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what's the difference between good and bad fish? Right? That's an, that's an important question. What's the difference between good and bad fish? Jesus says, if you're poor in spirit, yours is the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? It means that blessed are those who know that they need God. Blessed are those who, when, uh, when the costs, uh, I don't want to say the cost, when, the, um, when what I possess in and myself is set next to Jesus and his kingdom and who he is, right? There is no comparison, right? I am a poor person, right? Anything that I would have, think that I have on my own, no, I don't have anything, right? Jesus says, the poor in spirit, they're the ones who are going to understand, right, the value and urgency of the kingdom, right? So therefore, that's, that's, that's the entry point, is God, with, without, on my own, I have nothing. I don't have anything of value. Right, a faith that trusts and depends on and hopes in a salvation that comes through receiving the blessings of the kingdom of God that are offered to us in Christ alone. Right, to be poor in spirit before God. Uh, blessed are those that know that anything they have, the best of they, what they can offer, uh, when set next to the treasure and beauty and glory of Jesus Christ, is uh, all comparisons are meaningless. Right? Like, there's no comparison. Um, so how can my life demonstrate an urgency with regards to believing and demonstrating and sharing the gospel, right? Like this idea that, like, hey, like, if this is the reality of the kingdom of God, that means that, like, I have work to do, right? I have work to do. So how do I demonstrate that? Like, what's so... Here's, here's the posture. Um, our default posture can be one that's defensive. We can, like, we're, we're fists up, we're fighting, right? That's the, that's the default posture of many... And myself, right? Like, I need the grace of God to, like, not be the way that I'm default. Like, default is defensive, and I want to fight. Right? Um, what happens is when I understand the urgency <laughs> is that I decide, like, you know what? I don't want to, I certainly don't want to be in a fight with God, right? Like, my posture becomes one of surrender, right? It's, it, it's, hands, it's like, God, like, you have to, whatever you want my life to be, right? Like, th- things are too important, right? It's too urgent uh, to care and to get into, uh, to have this posture, right? And so it's a posture of surrender that says, like, God, whatever you want to do with my life, right? Um, whatever job you have for me to do, right, I will do it, right? Because... I understand the urgency here. I understand what's at stake. I understand that the way things are right now are not the way they're going to be forever. Right? This is, this is the trap. We think that tomorrow is going to be the same as it was today, as it was the day before, as it was the day before. Like, no. Like, no. It's not always going to be the way that it is. The kingdom of God is coming. Um, one of the best examples that we have in Scripture of someone who I think gets the value and urgency of the kingdom of God is, is Paul. And uh, Philippians 3, uh, if you want to flip over there, um, Philippians 3, uh, he's talking about 
his resume, right? The things that he would claim uh, would be of value, right? He's got a resume. He's like, I thought I knew what was valuable. I thought I knew what was important. And I was living my life for those things. Verse 7, he says, But whatever regains to me now, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 8, What more I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, which is a nice word. right? It's a, that's a nice translation. Um, it's intense. It's refuse, right? Throw it in the sewer. Garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own, right? It's not something I'm doing. To, I'm not earning anything here. That comes from the law, but that is which through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes through God, that comes from God on the basis of faith. Um, he goes on to say uh, in verse 12, not only not that I have already obtained all this, or have arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Like there's an urgency, right? I understand value, I understand urgency. And so this idea of I press on to obtain that which I've been given, right? It seems like a bit of a paradox, but that my ambitions and my actions have now aligned toward the whole life pursuit of knowing Christ. And the promise is that like, when you orient yourself towards these, the, the value and the urgency of the kingdom of God, Jesus says, when you seek, you find. When you knock, the doors open. When you ask, you receive. Right? This is the promise of Jesus. Um, that when you live your life this way, Jesus says, like, this isn't a, this is, this is, this is a real deal. Uh, Paul says, in, uh, if you're there, in chapter 3, verse 15, he says, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And I think Jesus is asking the same thing. So, like, the concluding little story is very short. Um, and I don't, there's a lot of details that I, I just don't have time to get into, but I, I think the, the point here is that when Paul says, hey, all of us who are mature should have this understanding about the value and the urgency of what it means to, to know and follow Jesus, right? Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, do you understand this? Right? I've told you these stories about the value and the urgency of the kingdom of God. Do you understand this? And they say, Yes. I don't think it's disingenuous. I think they do. They understand enough, right, to do something. It's not perfect, of course not. But they understand enough where it's like, no, yeah, I think I understand this, right? Which is a, which is a gift of God in and of itself. Jesus then says, okay, those who become scribes or teachers, right, with regards to these things are like, and then here's the here's the story. They're like owners of a house who bring up from their storehouse treasures that are new as well as old. So this, this understanding of what it means to be a disciple who understands the value and urgency of the kingdom of God means that I have both privilege and responsibility to teach others, right? That I actually have a responsibility now, and it's a place of privilege that, like, you know what? I understand the value and urgency of the kingdom of God, and now I am both privileged and responsible to disciple and teach others that reality. 
right? This the owner of a house, right? This is a place of privilege, right? You are now you're the owner of this house, and you're bringing up these treasures, right? Not not to just gawk at them, but they're to be used, right? And the storehouse, this is always a metaphor for our hearts, right? This idea that like I'm going to bring up from my heart a transformed and changed life, right? Because I understand what the value and the urgency of the kingdom of God has meant, and by the grace of God through His Spirit. Like, he's transformed me. I'm, I, I don't live for the things I used to live for, right? The things I used to think were important, they're not important anymore. I, I have a different set of understanding of what it means, what is valuable and what is urgent. And I can instruct and teach out of that. And that's the privilege and responsibility of every disciple in the kingdom of God, right? You don't have to work at a church. You don't have to have the title pastor. You don't have to have been to a seminary. You don't have to have... Um, uh, read the right set of books or something like that, right? You simply have to bring up from your heart the understanding of the grace that Christ has given you and instruct and demonstrate that like, hey, I understand what is most valuable and what is most urgent. And yeah, I'm not doing it perfectly, but like, look, listen, like I, let's instruct one another, let's teach one another about what is most valuable and what is most urgent. Um, so, uh, where am I being given the opportunity to teach and disciple others in the value and urgency? I know that's I know that's Pastor Mitch's heart, right? That, like, in terms of when you think about like what what the mission is, like what if even how you we began the service, right? Like what 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 do I have uh, to to share with somebody else, right? What do I have to offer in terms of like how am I going to teach? How are we going to take the responsibility of discipleship? Uh, as a whole church, right? It's not not the pastor's job. It's not somebody else's job, right? It's my job. It's my job as much as anybody else's. Um, And so uh, the posture, uh, the default posture, and this is the last one, the default posture that we often have uh, towards others is, um, I'm going to cross my arms, (laughs) which means uh, this this is the posture of either judgment or indifference, right? We're just kind of like, this is my posture towards people. Is, And when I understand the privilege and the responsibility that I have as a disciple of the kingdom of God, like my posture changes from arms folded judgment towards other people as I'm going to open up my arms and I want to bless other people, right? It's a posture of blessing towards other people. It changes my, it changes my view towards people. Right? Oh, like I have a responsibility and a privilege to teach you about what is most valuable and what is most urgent when it comes to what it means to follow and know Jesus. Oh, you don't that's you don't know? I didn't know either. <laughs> right? I was way off. Right? I was over here messing around with some other stupid thing. Like I was doing it. Like the thing that you're doing, I was doing that. And that's my privilege and my responsibility. Uh to share and to demonstrate uh, and to teach um, as, a, as an act of, like, I want to bless you. Like, I don't want to judge. I want to bless. And so, man, I feel so strongly that, like, this is what church can be, right? I know this is uh, Pastor Mitch's heart as well, um, that this is what life in Christ can be, that this is a vision for your life that is worth living, uh, and this is what the Bible says. Is this is the best way to live your life. 
um, to live a life of gratitude and joy in active pursuit of knowing and treasuring the God in whom, in whom, for whom, and from whom are all things, right? That we get to know and enjoy God, like right? uh, To live a life of purpose and mission, right? In light of the reality of the kingdom that is coming, right? Father, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's we, Jesus taught us to pray this way, right? And it starts in my heart. Um, we have work to do that matters. And so we take seriously our position of privilege and responsibility to disciple and to teach one another in these things that we might learn obedience to the commands of Christ to love as we've been loved uh, and uh, to stand as those who have been blessed uh, in order to bless others. Um, so that's my encouragement to you all. That's my prayer for you all. And um, I, I, I'll pray for us now as we will then move to communion. Right? We'll do something in between. The oh, great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's pray together. <coughs> God, I thank you so much uh, for your word. I thank you for uh, the, the reminder uh, and the, the, the lengths at which you go to, uh, to demonstrate to us and to, uh, uh, God, you want us to live our lives for what really matters. Um, God, that you've created us uh, to, uh, uh, to worship you, to know you, uh, to live as those who are a conduit of your blessing uh, to the world. Um, God, we pray that you would help us regain some clarity. Um, God, if, if our postures are, are, are that of, of, of grasping and of, of fighting and of judging, God, would you open up our hands and our arms, God, that you would allow us to uh, move towards postures of gratitude and, and um, surrender and blessing, uh, God, that we would understand the value and the urgency of the kingdom of God, that we would see our uh, privileged and responsible position as one to instruct others uh, for your glory, for our good, for the good of those around us. God, we thank you for uh, this calling that you've given to each one of us, and I pray that you would help us to discern the ways uh, in which you are at work um, in order that we might join you in the work that you're already doing. Um, God, we give you praise for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.